You're listening to Radio Influence. Football fans, it's time to go on the record with this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close, if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, T.J. Reed. I'm not going to sing it, but happy holidays, Merry Christmas. It is the most wonderful time of the year. It is almost the big one before we are back again on Three Dog Thursday. Santa will have come, as we keep saying, uh, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, uh, Festivus for the rest of us. Yuletide edition of Three Dog Thursday as we narrow things down in the NFL, college football, bowl games. And I need lots of help. And to help me right away is senior handicapper and writer from VegasInsider.com. Kevin Rogers back with me. I can't see you right now, but are you in a festive mood? Do we have on all the holiday garb? I mean, what's going on here as, as we count down now to the, the days of Hanukkah and the, and, the, uh, and the Christmas holiday? Are you in the spirit? What's the story? What's the deal? Uh, I'm in the spirit. I'm working a lot during the holidays, so I guess I'll, I'll pay that much. Yeah, so, I don't know if that's really the, the Christmas spirit necessarily, but uh, no, it's always that time of year where you know now we're transitioning into the new year and a lot of things going on, and obviously with uh, with college football, you know we started the bowl season and then eventually we'll get to some of the more named teams and we'll get to the better bowls coming up. It's always kind of like a weird time with college football. Uh, obviously with the NFL, we're coming down the stretch and we'll know who's in the playoffs coming up. So, uh, you know, we got a lot to talk about. We absolutely do. And this man is a fiend for eggnog. It is well known. Uh, we'll get to some college football and some bowl picks. We're going to talk some NFL as this show goes on. Charles Davis of the NFL on Fox will join me. Kevin and I have got some NFL draft selections as well. We're also going to tell you more about FanPlayoff.com. They are proud sponsors here on Three Dog Thursday. And, Kevin, we're giving fans the opportunity to play free postseason fantasy football at FanPlayoff.com. And we're going to talk to their CEO, their president and CEO, Rusty Walker, in a little bit. and may even sneak an underdog prediction out of him before we're over with. But uh, again, uh, for most people's fantasy football season, that is ending this week. Almost no one has their championship weekend on the final weekend anymore because everybody's resting players, players are inactive. So almost everybody's fantasy football championship for the season-long leagues is this weekend. Well, FanPlayoff.com is ready for you to capitalize on the postseason and redraft postseason players for free on their game. So we'll tell you more about that later on in the show uh for now before we get to the bowl games you and i are kind of both chomping at the bit kevin wh- do we know what a catch is anymore in the nfl after the steelers uh patriots game uh the other night where where it's uh, oh it's only the winning touchdown for pittsburgh that gets nullified you know not unlike the des bryant play in the playoff game three years ago that's the potential winning touchdown nullified by by replay saying after the call on the field was touchdown no it's not a touchdown what about it, Kevin? Go ahead. I mean, you know, after all these years, I think the biggest problem with this, I don't even say rule, it, just this idea is no one's ever explained it. You know, the problem is when you have the Blandinos and the Pereiras and all of them going to the rule book, just tell us what it catches. Tell us that you have to complete it, and once you are done with the whole process, it can never hit the ground. I don't know. The, the problem is there's so many inconsistencies that – you could stretch a ball out over the plane, break the plane, and it gets knocked out, but it's a touchdown. 
but if you fall down and the ball moves a touch, then it's not a touchdown. Or same thing in that Jets game with the pylon with that Safarian yep. Jenkins where the ball barely nicked the pylon and it's a touchback. I mean, the problem is that no one's ever explained it. That's, I think, where we have this issue. The Calvin Johnson catch a few years ago, the Des Bryant catch in the playoffs, if they're not catches, that's fine if you tell us that is not legally a catch. But if you never explain it or everything is always, you know, it's like the tuck rule with Tom Brady, that we had no idea this rule even existed, and they explain it to us, you know, section 8, subsection (laughs) 5, Roman numeral 3A, like, Tell us, just explain to us in layman's terms what it is. I think we'd all be fine with it. Now, answering the question, I don't think it was a catch. The ball was coming out, and I know you could say he broke the plane, but he didn't catch it cleanly. Well, the problem the problem that the Steelers fans have, and most have, but again, they, they, uh, they held to the policy. They held to the interpretation, which is if you go to the ground and the ball not just comes loose – or is is uh, fumbled away, if it just wiggles when it hits the ground out of your possession, it's got to be ruled incomplete by their policy. The problem most had was he makes the catch, he turns, his knees are down, which would indicate that he is down. He is now stretching the ball across the goal line, which as soon as the millisecond that the point of that ball crossed the goal line, the arm should have been up, touchdown, it didn't happen. And again, the call on the field was touchdown for the overrule. And if if you think that we're talking about this way too much on Three Dog Thursday a few days later, this could decide home field advantage for the New England Patriots to host the AFC Championship game this late in the year. It could be the difference maker against Pittsburgh in a head-to-head with uh, New England. So uh, it it is a big deal. It it is a big deal. I I have said for years, and and I'd love to have your opinion, you know how you straighten it out? You straighten it out with one clarification. You go to the competition committee and say, we want one clarification, and then the rest we can look at on replay, etc. If you clearly possess the ball with two feet down or an, equi- or an equivalent, if you clearly possess the ball with two feet down or an equivalent, you will be deemed to have caught the ball. And then the rest is open to interpretation. Did you fumble it when you went to the ground? Were you contacted before you fumbled it when you went to the ground? That could be better. But if we want to clearly define a catch, then clearly define a catch. You clearly possessed it with, with two feet or a knee or a backside or whatever down. You caught the ball. And that's kind of what you're saying. What is a catch? And you know what's funny, too, is you know we're, we're, we're talking so much, and I don't mind talking about this because it's a huge story. Uh, so, you know, no one's going to get tired of it because it's a huge story. But you know what's funny is we're talking about the Patriots and the Steelers and how this affects home field. How different is this than the Golden Tate non-touchdown for the Lions against Atlanta back right. in Week 3? You talk about Atlanta loses that game. Maybe they're not in the playoffs. Detroit wins that game. They had the tiebreaker over Atlanta. They're not winning the NFC North, but maybe they're a wild card team because of that almost same thing. Well, I mean, or are they close to it at least? So it's kind of like Golden Tate. And on that situation, Golden Tate is in the final 10 seconds of the game. It is ruled touchdown, the same thing that we're talking about. And because he went to the ground and the ball came loose, they go to replay, they overrule, the Lions don't have a timeout, and by rule, if you're inside of 10 seconds, it's a 10-second runoff for a replay review. They lose. They go from winning the game to losing the game on the same catch, no catch, 
and replay review overturning it. Wow. You're right. I mean, it's big for the Lions. It's big for the Falcons. As we're going to talk more with Charles, the Falcons still alive to win the division and host a playoff game. That could have been a big loss uh, for them. It would have been a big loss for them for tiebreaker reasons, uh, et cetera, if that's the case. And look, that was not the only controversy. Uh, the the Raiders-Cowboys game on Sunday night with Gene Steratore, the, the referee. And look, I've seen this before in college football. There's even been an occasion or two in the NFL previously where an official has had to come and try to decide, is that ball touching the last chain link there? Is it touching? Would it touch the marker for a first down? And they put the card out of their pocket down there. He was doing that. The problem was, Kevin, the other official that was holding the marker didn't seem to have it steady, didn't have it at a 90-degree angle. I'm like... We have all this technology with high def replays, and we got a guy with an index card, and we got a we got another referee that can't hold the marker, the cha- the uh, the first down marker up straight at a ninety degree angle, and that's deciding first down or not. So it, it was uh, it was crazy, and I know another one of your favorite rules involved Derek Carr. Uh, at the end of that game, where, where Carr was going for the touchdown, reaching the ball out, lost it, it went out of the end zone for a touchback in the final minute of a game, lost the ball out of bounds, and you hate that rule as well, Kevin Rogers. Well, the rule was executed fine. Like it should have been a touchback. That's what the rule says, but it's a dumb rule. And I don't know how to fix that, but I just don't get I know a lot of people, I, I heard a lot of people talking about it. I'm not taking their their opinions but this is my opinion i thought that for years that you know why should you lose possession of the ball when you fumble it out i mean you can look in retrospect and blame Derek carr for that and that he could have been just tackled out of bounds at the two-yard line without stretching the ball out and the raiders still could have won or tied or won that game instead of him trying to do what he did but besides the point you just can't lose possession of the ball when you're that close because sure. it just goes out it, it's a the problem I have with, with football is there's just so many rules that make no sense whatsoever. And I know people, you know, that, that rip baseball, they say, oh, well, I don't understand this. I don't it's like, it's a little more complicated, but football, they just don't make sense. You know, things don't, the, the, it's like the crime doesn't fit the punishment. You know, and especially, you barely fumble the ball out of the end zone and, and you lose the possession of the ball. To your point, especially when in the regular field of play between uh, the one-yard line and all the way down to the other one-yard line, if you fumble the ball out of bounds, it goes back to the fumbling team uh, in terms of possession. This is the only situation where you can fumble into that end zone, and if it goes out of bounds, not the defense recovers, they get possession. I think a lot of people want the fumble to go back to the spot to where you fumbled it, the ball is dead right there, that's it. Uh, and we'll see if that one eventually gets changed because that's happened several times uh, this year. One, one more point, and this is a good point, Derek Carr's got to be smarter and more protective of the ball about that because he knows the rule and everybody else knows the rule. And if you're careless with the ball where somebody can knock it out or you can drop it and lose it, that is a huge play because they were still, as you mentioned, in field goal range to tie the game in the final 30 seconds. And instead, they lost possession. The Cowboys kneel on it. The game ends. And Dallas's playoff hopes are still alive because of that chaos at the end where the Raiders couldn't find a way uh, to beat them. So, uh, they, I mean, you, you would agree with me real quick. That, that could be a very simple solution. Competition committee says instead of fumble out of the end zone goes to the defense, fumble out of the end zone just goes to the spot where the offensive guy fumbled it. If he fumbled it in the end zone while crossing the plane, do your best to spot it on the half-yard line, the one-foot line, and give it to the offense there, and let's move on, right? Well, yeah. I mean, and obviously, whenever you fumble it out of the end zone, you're going to be inside the five. So, you I mean, you shouldn't have the ball 
knocked back to the 10 or 20 yard line, you know, and I mean, right. even if you want to take it another step, which I know is being, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, be a little bit picky on this, but if you fumble the ball out of the chances are you're going to fumble the ball out of the end zone right. on the sideline, not on the end line underneath the goalpost. Like you're not going to fumble it there that far out. Cause you're already going to be in the end zone. So, you know, really it has to do with like the sidelines and not really, you know, the back That's of the end right. zone. If it goes outside the back of the end zone, maybe it's a touchback there yep. if you're that far out, but. Yeah, and put it put it on the one or put it on the two by rule if you want. Hey, if I, you know, any kind of fumble, we don't have any ambiguity. Just put it on the one yard line. Be done with it. Don't don't penalize the offensive team any more than you have. All right. So now that we have sorted out the NFL rule book at the beginning of Three Dog Thursday, let's move on to college football. And look, you and I are both uh, ready, amped up for the New Year's weekend, the college football playoff semifinals, and oh, as we look at the calendar. That's not this weekend for the college game. So we were scouring over a lot of these matchups, uh, whether it be the Gasparilla Bowl. I mean, just go on and on down the list for some of these different games, uh, including uh, the Birmingham Bowl, which I think you and I are about to agree on. It's not a great slate, just as a general comment here. I mean, there's there there are not a lot of intriguing games until we really get to next week and next weekend. There are just too many of them, and not enough of them are good right now, right? Yeah, and it's not about a bailout or anything. It's just it's the facts that you have. Look, I think a lot of people will agree there's just too many bowls, and you know it's it's hard enough to get motivating teams from smaller or from from these bigger conferences to play. You know, a team that's seven and five or eight and four that that's playing out an extra game, and then you have these smaller conferences. You know, the you know Conference USA, the Sun Belt, all of them, and it's like they're they're Super Bowl. They get to play one extra game if we on national TV. It's just hard, and I've said it so many times. I'll say it again. I, I can't stop preaching this about handicapping. I think the hardest thing to handicap are, are neutral site games. I really do because you don't know what you're getting. Both teams are unfamiliar with the stadium, and it's just very difficult. Uh, you know, and some of these matchups, like they seem on paper to be okay, but still, I mean, you, you're basically playing what uh, twenty. Uh, 36, 37 exhibition games and two real games. Right. Well, and in a lot of cases, you take three weeks off, three, four weeks off, and how stale are you? Have coaches left on the coaching staff? That makes a difference, so it's very tough to, to deem a lot of these. So, again, whether it's your Poinsettia Bowl or your Little Caesars or your Motor City Bowl or whatever it is, enjoy enjoy some of these. I think you and I are actually going to agree. Where, where are you going for a college football bowl game underdog? Because I think you and I have the same one. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to go with the Birmingham Bowl with Texas Tech against USF. And, you know, you, you look at this game, and USF had very high aspirations this year to not only win the American, but who knows, maybe sneak into the Final Four. And, you know, they struggled out of the gate against San Jose State early on, and they had a couple of games where they didn't look great, but they still started off like 7 or 8 No, They got tripped up by Houston and then lost to UCF in that great game at the end of the season, so now you're relegated to the Birmingham Bowl where, you know, Texas Tech is a team that they score a ton of points. They struggle down the stretch. They only won, I believe, three games after starting 3-1, and one, and they beat Kansas right. and Baylor, who are awful teams. But, uh, you know, I look at this and I say, why is USF laying two and a half points in this game is what I wonder. Where USF all year was laying double digits. You can't find a game. The only game they didn't lay double digits was the UCF game where they were getting 10. Besides that, they were never three seven-point favorites. So either they're playing horrible competition or they're just totally overinflated lines. And now it's two and a half against Texas Tech, a team that really wasn't great over the final two months of the season. So 
it's just the line kind of tells me that maybe USF isn't up for this game. That uh, you know, it's kind of like a three you're playing in Birmingham, and no disrespect to the fine people of Birmingham, but I don't know who wants to go there for a bowl game. <laughs> well, I can tell you, so, USF's fans don't want to go there because they've been there a couple times recently, including last year, and they returned almost ninety percent of their tickets. So I, I think it will be an intimate gathering, probably for this game. And, and again, full disclosure, I'm in West Central Florida. Kevin's in South Florida. While we tape Three Dog Thursday, wherever you're hearing us, so we're very familiar with the Florida teams, and I'm, I'm very familiar with the USF program. And you're right, they're deflated. This is a perfect. Uh, situation here where the line doesn't seem to make sense because USF had aspirations to maybe be in a group of uh, be in the in the group of six uh, New Year's Day bowl games and UCF took that from them. UCF beat them in the regular season finale, won the conference championship. They got in the Peach Bowl themselves. So you wonder if USF's deflated. A lot of these guys are going. Wait a minute, we were in Birmingham last year. We're back in Birmingham again for a bowl game. Quentin Flowers is an excellent dual threat quarterback for USF. They have explosive players, but. Guess what? Cliff Kingsbury and Texas Tech can light it up. They did win uh, three of their last five games. They won their final game with Texas. Uh, Nick Shimanek, the uh, the quarterback, threw for 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns. Both of these teams can score. And I'll say this, Kevin, the two best teams USF played this year, Houston at home at UCF, they lost both games. That's by far the two best teams on their schedule, and they are 0-2. So I, I am going to go with you. I'm going to take Texas Tech here, the Big 12 over the American Conference, and you and I agree on Three Dog Thursday for the Birmingham Bowl on Saturday. And again, no matter when you're listening to Three Dog Thursday, that game may have already been played. USF may have blown them out. Or as Kevin and I are on to it, maybe Texas Tech rolled in the game with uh, with the Bulls. So uh, we'll see on that one. Kevin, stand by. We've got NFL conversation straight ahead with Charles Davis of the NFL on Fox. Look forward to talking with him. We'll also tell you more about fanplayoff.com as we go along. And then Kevin will be back to make some NFL predictions. All of that still to come here on Three Dog Thursday. Hang in there. Well, I do always love to get the chance to catch up with this guy. We've been doing this for a long time, and as I joking like to say to him and a lot of others, he still takes my call, takes my text message. When I put the bat signal up for Charles Davis, he is around. Good to have you back. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, because I know that's around the corner. Uh, yeah. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's always great to talk with you, and the same to you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> However anyone celebrates. Kwanzaa. You know, Festivus for the yeah, rest of us. You name we, it. Best, we best cover of us. all of it on three dollars. Let's air the grievances. Are we going to air any grievances or have any feats of strength? I'm not sure on the show today. That's, that's why I love Charles Davis because he gets my references on all this stuff uh, too. Okay, uh, so I have to make mention of this because you were on the call doing a great job with Kevin Burkhart. What the heck was that in Seattle last Sunday in the game you had? Because the Ra- the Rams just absolutely dump trucked them. I, I yeah. like many others. I mean, it's one thing if the Rams won the game, but Charles, it's a few days later, and I'm still trying to figure that one out. How about you? Yeah, we're all trying to process, aren't we? And it's one of those that if you take it and 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 you 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 dove into it prior to my prediction for the game going in, and I said it at our production meeting the night before. I said, "This is the way I see it, guys. This could be that typical four quarter slog that Seattle is used to having, and it'd be like one of their." last great stands, or this could really get ugly. Because I just, you know, the way Los Angeles played the first time, they went up and down the field on them, TJ. They doubled them in stats. The killer stat that they lost was they turned it over five times. Give Seattle credit for creating those five. But 
I just knew Los Angeles came into that game saying, you know, that was on us. It, it, we won't say it because it sounds like sour grapes, but that one was on us. That wasn't so much what Seattle did to us. And I did have a talk with a Seattle executive on the field prior to the game. And he said, what do you think? And I said, I think you're in trouble. And he's like, we're really gassed. <laughs> you know, I mean, he said it before kickoff, we're really gassed. So it's not like it was a total shock to their system for people who were around the team. But I do know pride-wise, no one saw it going that bad. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, they thought, they thought they were in trouble, but no one saw them getting, you know, third and 20, down 27 to nothing, and Todd Gurley goes untouched for 50-plus yards for a touchdown. That doesn't happen to Seattle. That's way worse than what anyone could have anticipated. Is part of it because they are so injured that the defense is that vulnerable and they have given up a bunch of points to almost anybody the last four or five games? Was that part of the avalanche Sunday? No doubt about it. No doubt about it, TJ. Definitely part of it. You can't have Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Deshaun Shedd, who hadn't played at all this year. That's three of the Legion of Boom in, in the secondary out. They can't be gone. Bobby Wagner giving it a go on one leg because he had the hamstring and he's been nursing that for a K.J. Wright, another Pro Bowl linebacker, doesn't suit up at all due to concussion. You can't have all that. Cliff Averill got hurt midway through the season. He's been out for the entire time. It's just too much. It's too much of an accumulation. The other part of it is, you know, they've played a lot of extra games. Think about, you know, all the extra games, let's say LeBron James has accumulated over his career. Kobe Bryant did because of the playoffs and going deep into the playoffs. Seattle's done that. Five straight years, was it six of seven, seven of eight years in the playoffs? Deep runs, NFC Championship games, right? Super Bowl, two Super Bowl appearances. It's a lot of extra wear and tear on your best players. And, you know, that's just part of it. Offensive line, struggling, even with Dwayne Brown, who had his worst game as a Seahawk. It was just bad. And this Los Angeles Rams team, they're really good. I think for a lot of us, we're still kind of like, really, are they kind of? Because we're so used to them being the Rams. In fact, around the league, and I think you've heard it, TJ, if you got the Rams into a, a, a tussle, they would find a way to screw it up. <laughs> the, 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 term was, the term was same old Rams. And guess what? That is long gone now. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and just in, in watching them from a distance, because, again, in working with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we haven't crossed paths with them this year, although it seemed like we played right. the Rams every year for about five years in a row, and you may have even done a couple <laughs> of games. It's still that way. Yeah, uh, this is, like, to your point, this is the same personnel with Sean McVay coming in and energizing that personnel and making Jared Goff a totally different quarterback, Wade Phillips coaching the defense. Anybody that doesn't want to tell you that coaching matters – Coaching yeah. matters. Look at the L.A. Rams because they i mean, they are an inspired, well-coached, different bunch, and, and they're going to do something that has never been done in the NFL, be last in scoring one year and come back and lead the NFL, 32 teams better, 31 teams better, lead the NFL in scoring. Just say something else about being around Sean McVay last weekend as you were and this turnaround with Wade Phillips and the coaching staff. Yeah, a 31-year-old is not supposed to be this aware, mature, whatever word you want. He's precocious. I mean, he's a football lifer, but he carries himself in such a way that these guys believe in him. You know, they don't look at him and make junior jokes behind their hand. You know what I mean? And a lot of people have the mistaken thought process that, well, he's an offensive guy. They hired Wade Phillips. He coaches the offense. Wade coaches the defense, even though he's the, the head coach by, by title. Um, 
<laughs> that's true, but I'll tell you this for a fact, TJ. The Sean McVay coaches that defense as well. So when they are in practice sessions, if there's stuff he doesn't like or doesn't and sees or he wants to impart things, he doesn't hesitate and think, hey, uh, Coach Phillips, can I uh, talk to the defense? Nice head coach. <laughs> he jumps out and lets them know. And a lot of it is through offensive coordinator eyes. Hey, guys, you can't play it that way because if so, this is what offenses will do to you. Boom, 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 boom. Here's how I would adjust to what this offense is doing because I know this is what they can do. Boom, 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 boom. Mm. This is why we love Charles Davis's insight from the NFL on Fox. He and Kevin Burkhart and crew will be working that Saints a Falcons game coming in the Superdome this Sunday. And so that's a that's a good segue here with the Saints battling the Rams for playoff position, the Falcons battling the Saints, trying to win the South maybe, uh, win the division themselves for the game that you are working. Obviously, I just worked the Falcons and the Buccaneers on Monday night, so we're kind of intertwined every which uh, direction. First of all, Atlanta. They obviously ha- have really gotten their act together uh, they were struggling a little bit maybe on offense earlier in the year with Steve Sarkeesian, but they've begun to really put some things together. Uh, they now, as I mentioned, if they if they win out here, they're in great shape to win the NFC South. It starts with Sunday. So let's, uh, let's talk for a moment about this matchup with the Saints. It's a rematch of a game that Atlanta won on Thursday night football about two weeks ago now at the time that we're talking. What about this matchup coming Sunday at the Superdome? Well, I think it's one where the Saints, similar to when we talked about the Rams and Seahawks' first game, where the Saints left that dome with a ton of guys injured, guys that some guys are not going to get back, like an A.J. Klein, their outside linebacker, but left, that, left, left the Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta, because they both had the same stadium, right. thinking that was, that was a game we should have won. Why, how did we lose that game? So that was difficult for them to handle, but they walk away from it saying, yeah, we're better than they are. So they didn't walk away with any loss of confidence. I think what's going to be interesting in this one is, can Atlanta run it as authoritatively as they did against Tampa Bay on Monday night? Because if so, I think that'll help a lot because Matt Ryan has not been Matt Ryan from last year, and he hasn't been Matt Ryan from the middle part of this season. He's been a little bit of a struggle. So if they can run and take some pressure off of him, remember Matt threw three interceptions against Atlanta last time they played. Take some pressure off of him. Take some pressure off of getting the ball to Julio Jones because Tampa Bay took him away the second time. First time he chewed him up, second time they took him away. Can they continue to run it with Freeman? Do they get Tevin Coleman back? If so, Atlanta feels good. On the flip side, New Orleans has played defense better than we've seen them play at TJ in, what, five seasons? Minimum, right? It's not even close, right? Kamara, Ingram, the two-headed monster at running back, gives you running, running ability both inside and out. Both of them catch the ball extremely well. Hard matchups if they swing them out of the backfield or even just line them up as receivers. You have all that going on. Michael Thomas is a beast outside because of his size and physicality. So they feel good about what they do offensively. Big thing's going to be, does Andrews Pete come back and play so they can have a solidified offensive line? He had a groin, didn't play last week against the Jets. I like what New Orleans is doing. They love the fact they'll be at home. I think they're 6-1 and one in the Dome this year. They finally reclaimed Dome advantage at home. This has got the makings of a heck of a game. Sure. It really does. And I think that kicking game might come into it. I know coaches always talk about it. 
Matt Bryan is primed as a kicker, but they had a field goal. I mean, uh, uh, I think a field goal or an extra point blocked in the game against Tampa It was a field goal, right? Field goal, so you worry about that a little bit. He made a 57-yarder in the – he made a 57-yarder in the first half, which was a tremendous kick, but then they had one blocked right up the middle to your point in the second half of the game that that was big in the game at that point. So you worry about that a little bit with them, but they like what Andre Roberts has given them in the kick return game. For New Orleans, I just think it's much more a matter of they feel so confident at home, and Drew Brees feels like I don't have to be the absolute playmaker now. I can take care of the ball better, and he has. He's like almost 72% throwing the football this year, only seven interceptions. This has got the makings of a heck of a game Mm -hmm. because either one of them wins out, they win the division. All right, so that's the key for them. Now, they both know a loss. They can still both make the playoffs, but winning the division is paramount. Gives you that home game for sure. No doubt. Uh, just a few more moments left here. Alvin Kamara, and with full disclosure, I love Charles to death. He's a Vol. He's a Tennessee Vol. Uh, Vol for life. VFL. You'll see him put it on Twitter yeah. all the time. Did, I mean, did we really understand how good Alvin Kamara really was coming out of Tennessee? It's easy to say that now. But, I mean, if everybody understood how good he was, everybody would have been drafting him number one or number two in their fantasy football league. He has been phenomenal. He has has gone bananas uh, in terms of rush yards, touchdowns, even catching the ball, Charles. I I don't think that a lot of people understood, because of Tennessee's struggles in college, how good he is. And and he barely played in the previous game. He's going to be a huge key Sunday. He did not basically play in the first game with Atlanta. Yeah, he didn't because, remember, he had the uh, the concussion. He got hurt in, what, the first series of the game? Yes. I think he already had four touches at that point when he got hurt and missed the rest of the game. I believe that was at Atlanta on the Thursday night. That's right. So uh, people knew he was good. People were always wondering why Tennessee didn't use him more. <laughs> I really feel like, I don't get why you don't use him more. And the best tape he had was that Texas A&M game where he carried the load the entire way, ran inside, ran outside, caught passes, returned kicks. He did it all. He went in the third round, but I happen to know for a fact, TJ, that there were people who were considering giving him a first-round grade. I know most people settled in on second round, so him going in the third was a little bit of a surprise, and I think for the Saints, an absolute godsend. Because trace the lineage of guys and the way that Sean Payton runs offense and those backs that he's had. To me, Reggie Bush is the godfather of that. Some people would say Pierre Thomas, but I think Reggie Bush was much more of this satellite joker that they had. Then after him was Darren Sproles, and now it's Alvin Kamara. And they just follow him right in that lineage of that guy that he can utilize in any way possible, any shape, and be able to dial up a play for him, whether he's a receiver or runner, all those things, and it's really coming to fruition for him now. Yeah, should be a huge game there on Sunday. Uh, we love to pick underdogs here on this show on Three Dog Thursday. Uh, and you were saying to me, uh, as we got ready to tape this, if we're doing underdogs, you said San Francisco at home as an underdog. 3-0 and with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, Jacksonville, tremendous story, tremendous season, but the 49ers hosting them. What I mean, this is an interesting matchup, too, that will be later in the day here where San Francisco seems to have found something. I know you had them earlier in the year against the Eagles, and they got wiped out, but this, this appears to be a different 49er team. And look at Jacksonville with everything to play for. Uh, may still have an opportunity to have a bye in the playoffs in the AFC. That's going to be an intriguing game with San Francisco as a home underdog. Yeah, I agree. And this is going to be a lot of fun because 
For Jimmy Garoppolo, that offensive line's really not very good, so that ball's got to be out of his hands fast. Can some of those receivers make plays for him because he's going to have to get rid of it quickly because that Jacksonville pass rush, as we know, is no joke. What they call him now, Saxonville? Yes. So <laughs> they're coming after him. That's a big one. The second thing is Blake Bortles with Jacksonville. Are we convinced yet? Because each week he's been. When I say each week, he's starting to stack up weeks where he looks pretty darn good yes, as an NFL is. quarterback again, and we're having trouble buying it because I think a lot of people had written him off. Like no, 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 no. He got his numbers when the game was decided. Remember that one, TJ? He got his numbers when they were down two or more touchdowns. Nah, and then he plays poorly and does this. Well. He's making a very convincing case that those days are over, and because of that, Jacksonville's in a great position, as you said. So San Francisco's got a lot to prove in this one. I don't think Jacksonville will come in napping on it, but there's a lot of momentum going in, in San Francisco. And I had them earlier, as you mentioned, and look, you can't name five guys on the San Francisco team. Most, most fans probably <laughs> cannot. Robert Sally, Saleh, their defensive coordinator, does not get enough credit. You go back and look at the numbers, look how hard that defense plays with a bunch of guys that no one can name. And struggle, well, I say struggle, people are having a harder time moving the ball against them, and they're giving their offense an opportunity. And Garoppolo and those guys have been taking advantage of what Kyle Shanahan's play calling. So that blueprint, the process that San Francisco put in place where they stripped it all down, it's working for them. You can see it coming, and just wait until they get better talent in there. Because once again, I think San Francisco will be a team to be reckoned with. I'm not going to say exactly when, but I think it'll be sooner rather than later, because I think things are working very well out there with Shanahan is the head coach. John Lynch is the GM. I think they're making very wise decisions. And, and Reuben Foster, that rookie linebacker out of Bama, you remember he was beat up early in the season, right? He couldn't finish yep. the game. He's always hurt. Um, have you seen him in the last six or seven? Uh, yeah. Like he made darn near every tackle. So, so they, they definitely cashed in when they took the so-called gamble on him late in the first round. Yeah, that gamble's paying off big. Well, and remember, John Lynch got the extra picks and flip-flopped with the Chicago Bears, and he was adamant they were they were going to take Reuben Foster. They were almost about ready yeah. to take Reuben Foster at two. at two, and they ended up getting him in the yeah. second round after getting Solomon Thomas, so interesting there in, in hindsight for the 49ers. We'll see how they do. Before I let you go on Three Dog Thursday, we're talking midweek. Uh, the big day. Now, we're working this weekend, an NFL weekend, so we're working Christmas Eve Sunday. Do you have a list? Has the shopping begun? Are you now about to embark? Uh, have you got a game plan? <laughs> have, we got a, have we got a scheme, a strategy to get all this done right now with the full, shopping? Full-on full game plan. I'm ready to go. This is my one window, <laughs> and I'm getting ready to fire the starter's pistol, <laughs> and I'm going in there, and if you would see me, TJ. Don't I tell me you're guy. going to the mall. Why are you going I, to the I, mall I, to fight the I, I, mall? Are we going to the mall? Because, because, because I have my people there. Okay, all right, right? good. I know my spots. I know my <laughs> hit, hit places. And I essentially go in, yep, yep, no, <laughs> yes, no, box it, wrap it, I'll be back, and I go to the next door. Box it, wrap it, I'll be back, next door. Box it, wrap it, I'll be back, then I make the circuit back again, and we are in the car on the way home. Oh, listen to you. He's got the game plan. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a game plan. And we're I've gonna got a battle plan, and, we're, and I execute it. And we're going to stick to the game plan. I love that. Oh, there's no doubt. It's when, when you deviate from the game plan, you're dead. <laughs> 
You're dead. He's you're taking there all care. day, and 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 you're spending way more money. I agree, and you're Trust dealing with the crowds, the and traffic, and the, the extra stuff, and the screaming kids around yeah. Santa Claus, and you got to got to make it all swayed. work. Got to make it all work can't, if you can. Can't be swayed by the extra advertising. You just got to go with it. This man is a veteran, though, in a lot of ways, including getting in and out on the holidays. So I like that about you uh, in that regard. Uh, Charles Davis from the NFL on Fox. Again, he and his crew with Kevin Burkhart and company will be working that upcoming matchup. Uh, the uh, Saints and the Falcons on Sunday. Listen, I'm not going to get a chance to talk to you before. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and Happy New Year. You and your family. Enjoy. And love having you on Three Dog Thursday. There he is. Charles, thank you, sir. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Rolling right along. It is almost Christmas time. It is almost the end of the year. And it's almost, as I joked at the beginning of the show, the most wonderful time of the year. For FanPlayoff.com, something that is brand new, and the president and CEO is back with us as part of Three Dog Thursday. Here is Mr. Rusty Walker. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. How are you feeling? I'm doing great, TJ. Thanks for asking, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, pal. All right. So, uh, you know, my fantasy season has gone down the tubes. I don't mind admitting it. For a lot of people, for a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, players of, of season-long fantasy football, it has not worked out. As I said earlier in the show before you've come on, though, this is generally almost 99% of the time the last week of the fantasy football season because nobody plays Week 17 anymore for their championship week just because of resting players and games don't mean anything and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, so this is basically it, good or bad, except now we've got something with FanPlayoff.com that we want to tell the fans about because we're, we're just about to begin things with the NFL postseason and, and FanPlayoff.com, right? That is correct, uh, TJ. FanPlayoff.com allows us to start a new league for strictly the playoffs. And no matter where you ended up in your fantasy league, uh, like you say, good or bad, it's over. Uh, so come the playoff time, what we do is we draft our teams uh, from the playoff uh, teams' players. Uh, we draft a th- we do a three, four, or five-man league. Uh, we set our rosters uh, each week uh, based on our players, and uh, we score points each week. Uh, what's great about it is is that throughout the playoffs, every game means something, and you're scoring points uh, uh, every game. Uh, so throughout the wild card weekend, through the division playoffs and the conference championships, right on through the Super Bowl, uh, we are playing a game that is like no other and it has never done been done before in fantasy. Well, and keep in mind here that you all, you have to use some strategy. You're drafting your players. Those are your players for as long as they're alive. So you might have them for only a game if they lose. But you're also able to project ahead, and if that team ends up in the Super Bowl, you could you will have them for three games at least, and you could have them for four games, and that's part of the strategy too, right? In your draft, in the process with the pool of playoff players, is who's going to last the longest and play the most games out of these guys that I'm looking at? Uh, you're essentially trying to project who are those teams that are going to play in the conference championship or in the Super Bowl. Absolutely, and uh, it's so cool because, of course. Uh, your main guys, your uh, uh, conference champions and what have you that have bye weeks aren't going to be playing in week one. So, therefore, you're, you're going to need two quarterbacks to make sure you have starters uh, for each particular week. And unlike the regular season, uh, there's no waiver wire. There's no trading of players. Uh, the <laughs> roster that you choose st- stays with you uh, throughout the end. And, therefore, 
when your one of your teams or when the playoff teams lose, those players drop off oh, your roster. Oh. So we don't have those to play anymore. I, I'm shaking uh, my head. So you can't you, you can't see me, but I'm shaking my head at the other end, having played this. Uh, previously, I had the Dallas Cowboys a year ago on defense. I had Dak Prescott as a quarterback, and Aaron Rodgers stuck the dagger right in me, Rusty Walker, because when they won that game, I only got one playoff game out of the Cowboys in the divisional round. It killed me, but that that's what's going to happen uh, here, and, and, and you're going to watch the playoffs like you never have before. Uh, you're rooting on almost every play of each game with FanPlayoff.com, right? TJ, we've been playing this game for over 20 years, uh, me and a group of guys, and uh, it is so much more fun than the regular, in se- regular season because of the intensity. Every play during the playoff, somebody is scoring points or stopping scores, uh, and it just adds a whole new level. To be honest with you, we only play in that league to make it to the playoff, where fanplayoff.com uh, is by far the most fun. Yeah, and so again, the fans for free can come sign up at fanplayoff.com. You're going to draft right after the regular season is over on that Sunday night on New Year's Eve night. I know you might be at a New Year's Eve party or whatever, but by by Sunday night, we'll know the playoff teams. You'll be ready to draft, and then the playoff games are beginning on Saturday. you got a five, six-day window. Get your team. And again, we'll talk about the differences here real quick at fanplayoff.com of a three-person, four-person, or five-person league, three-, four-, or five-team league. Again, if you're playing in a three-team game here with that playoff pool, you're going to get all-stars, right, Rusty? I mean, you're going to get the top-line players. Uh, but by design here, you're going to have a smaller overall roster of guys to hold. You're not going to have as many roster spots in a three-team league. A four-team league will have a couple of more roster spots and one more active player. And then the five-team league will have much bigger rosters because you've got more teams and it will have uh, bigger active spots, bigger rosters on the actual game weekend. So it's much more challenging as you go. We would say the three-team league is easier. The four-team league is kind of medium. The five-team league is the hardest. That, that would be fair on, on the increments on why you'd play the different leagues, but it, it's a challenge no matter what, right? It, it is a challenge no matter what. And lots of times, depending on the maybe the league you played in during the season, if it was a... Uh, maybe you just want three or four in the playoffs. Uh, if you're maybe in a 12- or 14-man league, uh, you would want five in the playoffs, which is similar to the league we played in for years. So, yes, it is more difficult the more teams that we have, uh, but it's great fun no matter what. It's the total points that you score each week with your players, and even though you may bomb in week one, heck, week two you could come back and be the high scorer because, again, the the uh, – uh, the idea is to get the most points uh, through the end of the Super Bowl. That's and right. The one at the end is with the most wins. And this is not, and so that we're clear again as we talk with Rusty Walker, the president, the CEO, the man with fanplayoff.com, their proud sponsors with us on Three Dog Thursday. As we talk about this game, one, it's free. Two, you're not playing head to head against an opponent like you have been all season long. It is just a running accumulation of points. You're playing every team in the league every week. And this may be the case. I experienced this in, in playing in, in this kind of playoff league last year where the guy who won basically ran away and hid the first two weeks. He went berserk with Aaron Rodgers, with Julio Jones, with his Patriots defense scoring points. 
you can do that in this league. It's not unusual that you could run away and hide, but generally speaking, it's tough to run away and hide because somebody may catch you come championship weekend or the Super Bowl weekend because they've got a lot of players left or team defenses left, and they can reel you in with points. That's the beauty. You play through the whole playoffs, everybody playing everybody, not head-to-head matchups, right? That's exactly right. And let's talk, let's talk about maybe one of the wild-card uh, dark horse teams uh, that maybe it's not expected to do well, but they win in week one and beat a team maybe that we figured wouldn't. And now you have players, good players, all the way through for four straight weeks. Whereas maybe one of your bye week teams or your division winners, what if they lose round one? And again, you lose a Brady and a Gronkowski and whoever. Uh, so, yeah, it's not always good to put all your eggs in one basket, as you say. So a lot of strategy involved, uh, certainly a lot of fun, make you think. And like you said before, it's not head-to-head. It's as we play each game, score as many points as you can, set your roster for the following week, score as many as you can. At the end of the four weeks, the winner takes home the trophy. Yep, and you may be down to just a player or two by conference championship time and the Super Bowl, but that player player or two might be the difference in you being able to win in one of these fan playoff leagues. Again, three-person league, four-person league, five-person league. Uh, And we want to say to the fans here that have never played this, if you're just trying it out for the first time and you don't have uh, fantasy football league members coming with you or other people with you, Come, come ahead. Come ahead as a solo, as a single player. We'll pair you up in a, in a public league, three, four, or five-person league. We'll plug you in, right? We want them to bring friends. We want them to bring league members, but we're not going to discourage you if you don't have that. Just come play yourself in fanplayoff.com. When you log, absolutely, when you log on to fanplayoff.com, either join a league or create a league. And uh, like TJ says, uh, just join a league, three, four, five-man. Uh, you can go ahead and uh, pick your draft date. We'll send you a reminder as when the date's going to be so that everybody's on board and online. Uh, draft your players very similar, exactly like you do pre, uh, prior season. Uh, and that's as much fun. And be honest with you, TJ, the draft is as much fun, right, as the whole uh, uh, fantasy football. <laughs> the whole half the deal is just the draft. Yeah. It is so cool to see those all-star players there and know that you get to choose them and have them all the way through the playoffs. Well, and what we don't know until it gets said is who's playing that first weekend. We have a general idea if somebody locks up a bye, but it may, it may come down to those games on New Year's Eve, Sunday afternoon and evening to figure out who's playing the next Saturday and Sunday, and could they play, like you're mentioning, three games or make the Super Bowl and play four games playing on the first weekend. So... That's another part of the strategy. One more thing, one more moment here, talking with Rusty Walker, President and CEO, FanPlayoff.com, and we're encouraging you to play free postseason fantasy football at FanPlayoff.com. There, there is an opportunity for you to enter in and play for a $1,500 prize. They can find out more about this, and we'll, we're going to get specific with a couple things. You've got to play in the five-person, the five-team game, and there's going to be standardized scoring for that five-person game. And if you play in a five-person game with standardized scoring, you've got a chance to win 1500 bucks if you score the most points uh, cumulative in your league. So you're going to be competing against all the other players everywhere that are playing in a five-person standard scoring league, correct, for a chance to win $1,500? That's correct. Uh, we're going to have a leaderboard uh, that's posted online on the website uh, that will show you the highest scores 
uh, as we uh, run throughout the playoffs. And, uh, yes, it's a great feature. It kind of keeps us in line with what the rest of the world's doing uh, and seeing how we rate. But uh, just one of the great features. And like you said, uh, if you create your own league, then you have the option to create the type of scoring system that you want. That's right. Uh, the payoff for the leaderboard league uh, that we're talking about uh, is standard scoring, uh, which doesn't take any brain work. It's already set up there for you. You just click and join and draft, uh, and then we'll do the scoring at the end. So uh, the option is yours at the beginning uh, as to which way you want to go or play for. I love it. And, again, you can draft as many teams as you want in different leagues, different sizes. Try this out. And you may go insane trying to keep up with all your teams and all of your players, but that's on you. Uh, and, again, you can just bring a couple of friends, be in a three-team league, bring three friends, be in a four-team league, bring your league and bring five people in total and play in the five-person league or just play as yourself in one of these leagues. And, again, for the $1,500, you've got to play in the five-person league uh, with fanplayoff.com and use the standard scoring, and then you're playing against everybody else. Whoever accumulates the most points at the end, uh, it's essentially a contest against everybody playing in the five-person league. You could win $1,500 at fanplayoff.com, but it costs you absolutely nothing to enter, to go sign up. So one more time, the call to action. What do they need to do? Give them the website again. Go ahead, Rusty. We need to log on to fanplayoff.com. Either create or join a league. Put your information in there. Uh, set your draft date. Uh, we'll be ready to go right after the final game of the season. Enjoy what a group of guys uh, in Tampa, Florida, have been enjoying over 20 years. This is the most fun you'll ever have for the playoffs. Go to fanplayoff.com and register now. Yep, that's all you have to do. It'll take you less than five minutes. Set it up, and you can join a league if you're just coming yourself or bring your fantasy football friends and try this out because you're going to watch the postseason, Rusty, like we say, like never before. Every play will have some consequence on it all the way through the Super Bowl with fanplayoff.com, right? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on, TJ. Dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. We do roll on one more time here on Three Dog Thursday and call back in our senior handicapper from VegasInsider.com. He is Kevin Rogers. Like I was joking with Charles Davis, he's making a list. He's checking it twice. You're, you're, avo- you're avoiding the mall like the plague right now. There's just too many crowds, too many people, uh, too much mayhem. Do some online shopping, get the gift cards. you got to make the veteran move this time of year, right? Yeah, I mean, now malls are in danger of staying open, you know, when you, <laughs> when you see all the stuff you can buy online. But uh, maybe that maybe means you go to the mall because everyone's shopping online, you yeah, know? Well, maybe, strategically. you got to pick the off hours, too, to go, uh, to go head out there. We need to head out to the NFL and make some selections. I know Charles uh, is working that Saints-Falcons game that he was talking about uh, for this weekend. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a couple of other uh, interesting games. All the games that suddenly have playoff implications, that Buffalo rematch with the uh, the Patriots, where they have to win, um, a lot of a lot of different intrigue with Jacksonville and San Francisco. Charles and I were talking about that game because it's important for the Jacksonville Jaguars for playoff seating uh, at this point. Where do you want to begin on Three Dog Thursday? We're each going to take a couple of underdogs in the NFL to round it out. What do you like first? Well, both my games are interconference games, and obviously it's the last week of interconference before we head to before we get to the Super Bowl. Obviously, it's all divisional games in Week Seventeen. And the first one we have to select is, I woke up last week, and 
I pushed with them. I know they closed at plus two and a half, but I'm going to go with the Tennessee Titans again. They're hosting the Rams. And speaking of Super Bowl, great Super Bowl finish with the Rams and Titans years ago at the Georgia Dome. I just, there's a couple things here. Number one, Tennessee's come, is, is in a weird scheduling spot, playing their third straight NFC West team. But they lost to Arizona. They lost to San Francisco. Now they get L.A. at home. And the Titans still have a shot at winning the AFC South. They still have a very good chance of getting a playoff berth. So even if they don't end up knocking off the Jaguars, they're going to end up uh, being in the playoffs. But Jackson, or rather Tennessee, they've only allowed one touchdown the last two weeks. They gave up six field goals to San Francisco in a touchdown, and they gave up four field goals to Arizona. And uh, they end up losing both those games. Now, they get the Rams, who are obviously going to be a threat to go to the Super Bowl at the NFC after what they did at Seattle last week. And the NFC is such a toss-up right now after Carson Wentz got hurt. I just look at the Rams and I say, that was the game you wanted last week at Seattle. That was the one that was the revenge game. Now you avoided the sweep uh, with the Seahawks. You're in control of the NFC West. How are you motivated to go to Nashville? Go east to Nashville, where Tennessee has everything to play for here. And Tennessee's a short underdog. Well, I mean, a six-point underdog in this game. I just look at it that this uh, this Titan team, who's played well defensively, at least keeping teams out of the end zone, granted the Rams are better offensively than the last two teams they played, I just don't know how the Rams can bring the same fire and the same intensity to this interconference game. And I understand the Rams have been a great road team this year. They only had one bad performance that came against Minnesota, who's obviously an upper-tier team. But I just think that, that Tennessee gets some value with them here as a home underdog. Well, and as we talked about with Charles, what a remarkable job that Sean McVay has done to energize this team. And they are still battling the Saints as we speak. They're trailing the Eagles, the Saints and the Rams. Who's going to be the two-seed, get the bye in the opening round of the playoffs, and it's going to be pivotal the last couple of weeks of the season to win your games and Tennessee as you mentioned does need to win here to set up that showdown with Jacksonville they trail the Jaguars right now by one game a Tennessee loss or a Jacksonville win in San Francisco clinches the AFC South for the Jaguars so the Titans have to hope they have to win and they have to hope that San Francisco wins because then it would be a winner take all for the AFC South in Nashville on New Year's Eve uh, head to head with Titans and Jaguars so We'll see for Tennessee uh, in that matchup. Speaking of San Francisco and Jacksonville, I I am going to side with Charles Davis here. I like the 49ers on the three-game win streak with Jimmy Garoppolo. That stood out to me immediately that Jacksonville was a road favorite. They're paying a lot of respect to the Jaguars' 10 wins. The defense is nasty. Calais Campbell leads four Jacksonville defenders to the Pro Bowl uh, this year. Uh, Leonard Fournette is practicing midweek, didn't play last week. He's practicing midweek at the time that we're talking on Three Dog Thursday. Don't know his situation, but I like San Francisco to win this game, getting four against the Jags. So if everything holds true, you've got the Titans, I've got the Jags losing, so you're going to get winner-take-all Tennessee-Jacksonville in the final week of the season, Kevin, which is what the NFL wants. They want some of these essentially like de facto playoff games. They may very well get it if if this scenario holds true that you and I are laying out. Well, it's what we call the flex game on Sunday night uh, NBC. That's what Maybe. they want Al Michaels and Collinsworth to go to uh, to Nashville for the AFC South title game. Yeah, maybe. It could be. And, Jan, what a story. And who had that at the beginning of the year? What a story, again, Jacksonville is in particular. Because Tennessee was supposed to be good and take the next step uh, off of, a, a, what, an eight or nine win season last year. But Jacksonville, out of nowhere, 
uh, has put this together and flip-flopped it around and already qualified for the playoffs for the first time in in a decade. All right, quickly, we each have one underdog left. Your turn again. What do you like for your final underdog on Three Dog Thursday? Well, I decided to go with another former uh, Super Bowl matchup: uh, Ricky Sanders, Timmy Smith, and the Redskins against the Broncos. Uh, oh my go God, you're going like back to the 1980s. All right, so Broncos yeah. and Redskins. No Ricky Natiel here. No Gary Clark. No Doug Williams. I got you. No, very good. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, but I am wearing my Dan Reeves suit, though, as I speak. Uh, <laughs> um, I like Denver. You know, I know that they started off hot. They were terrible for a long time. They've won two straight and. I, I know it's not, uh, you know, convincing. I mean, they, they shut out the Jets and they're coming up with whatever the Colts, which aren't two good teams. But also, I don't think the Redskins are that great either. The Redskins have won back-to-back games once this year. They're coming up with a win over Arizona last week. They had about 200 yards of offense in that game, so it's not like they really did much. And Denver's defense has played well the last few weeks. I just think that Denver here, you know, I think that they can go back out, go out east. And I think they're going to finish the season on a high note. I really do. And for Washington, you know, they had some opportunities this year to knock off some good teams. I feel like Washington plays down to the competition. And in the spot, I'm going to take the points with the Broncos. Well, and Kirk Cousins has gotten beaten up some, and they're, they're running backs. They've, they've shuffled through about, because of injury and other reasons, about four different running backs in Washington. And Denver did play better on that Thursday night game. It was a while ago, but it was the Thursday night win over the Colts before this matchup now that's upcoming. And Vance Joseph may be coaching for his job as the first-year coach in Denver. We talked about that some last week on Three Dog Thursday. So he'll take the Broncos. I'll go with the Buffalo Bills. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know New England is a Godzilla uh, right now, and especially late in the year, and I'm not saying that New England isn't going to win the game, but I think Buffalo could hang around. This is a rematch of a game that New England won 23-3 at Buffalo. Gronkowski a couple of weeks ago suspended near the end of the game for a forearm to the head of the Bills defender, Tredarius White. Tredarius White suffering a concussion. Gronkowski got suspended for the cheap shot, didn't play in the Miami game that they lost on, on Monday Night Football. This is a rematch where Buffalo gets 12 points at Foxborough in an early game. I, I know Brady has owned the month of December, especially against the AFC teams. I'm not saying New England loses. I'm saying Buffalo keeps it close with a 12-point spread. I could see this being like a 24-14 game, 27-17, 27-20. Uh, I think the Bills can make enough plays here to hang in. They beat the Dolphins a week ago and were impressive. They're they're hanging on to their playoff hopes in the AFC. I don't know that they're going to get the win. I don't think they'll get the win, but I think they keep it close enough with the 12 points. So that'll be my third and final underdog. And again, that Atlanta-New Orleans game is going to be fantastic uh, for this weekend. And you've got a couple of more uh, that are on the docket. Again, that Jacksonville-San Francisco game we're interested in. Dallas barely alive for the playoffs. Seattle struggling. This is a de facto elimination game in Dallas late in the afternoon on on uh, Sunday afternoon, so we'll see how that plays off on, on Christmas Eve. Uh, Kevin, listen, I always love the insight. Give uh, the fans a plug one more time with all the bowl games out in the NFL and everything going on. What's going on with VegasInsider.com? Yeah, even though the holidays are here, still very busy weekend coming up with the bowl games, really kicking into gear, NBA Monday of the Christmas Day slate with all the big games, college basketball conference play begins next week. So that's uh, very big, and obviously, uh, you know, as we talked about the NFL two weeks ago before we get the playoffs, check out all of the picks, all of the write-ups, everything on VegasInsider.com and also on Twitter at TwitVI. And follow this man at VI Rogers with all the great information and all the quick uh, quips. We love his 
uh, insight with that. You can follow this show at Three Dog Thursday. Again, Kevin and I agree on Texas Tech in the Birmingham Bowl this weekend against USF as an underdog. And again, depending on when you're listening to the show, you may already know how right or wrong we are on these. NFL Sunday, Kevin goes with the Tennessee Titans and the Denver Broncos as his two underdogs. I'll take the Buffalo Bills early to keep it close in New England, and then San Francisco, I think, outright wins against Jacksonville. In the late game, there are underdogs. Our thanks also to Charles Davis of the NFL on Fox. My thanks also to Rusty Walker, the president and CEO of FanPlayoff.com, our big sponsor right now here on Three Dog Thursday with that postseason fantasy football for free at FanPlayoff.com. Kevin, uh, happy holidays, my friend. Merry Christmas. We will talk to you post-Christmas. Post-Christmas, last show of the year coming up for Three Dog Thursday next week. Enjoy the game, sir. Thank you, you too. Thank you, DJ. There is Kevin Rogers, and we thank you for being with us on the only digital radio show devoted exclusively to underdogs in college football and the NFL. It is Three Dog Thursday. This is a Landry football with Chris Landry. Quick fix on Radio Influence. Who's easier to teach a new system to? A veteran from another system? This is pertaining in the NFL or a rookie from college going into the NFL. And it does depend upon the quarterback. Now, now some veteran quarterbacks can easily convert terminology into something that he already knows, just called differently. Intelligence is the most important quality for a quarterback, along with accuracy, because a quarterback first has to know where to go with the ball, and then he has to get it there accurately. Okay, um, That's why the best quarterbacks – are good at what they do. Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, you know the ones. Some of them may not have the best physical gifts that you've seen, but they're good at knowing where to go with the football, getting it out on time accurately. You know, you can see a certain quarterbacks that come into the league. A Boomer Esiason was a very accurate quarterback. Into the quick study. Donovan McNabb struggled a little bit. He wasn't as accurate. So I think those are some things to keep in mind in terms of the the rookie quarterback can come in if he's played under center, if he knows how to read defenses going back, well, then he's going to have a better chance of having success than somebody who's going to have to learn from playing out of the shotgun. Um, it doesn't mean that they can't do it. It just means that their background is such that they're going to have to learn some different things. If if you can learn, if you're and here's the way I always look at it and explain it. If you've got somebody that knows how that's good working with their hands, somebody that might be a good carpenter, might be good at, you know, fixing things around the house, plumbing or what have you, they probably are the type of people that can learn electrical work. Even though they may know nothing about it, they can learn it. They have natural transferable skills to be to do plumbing stuff and electrical stuff. They may be better at one thing than the other because they may spend more time on it, but they are good at it. Somebody like me that it just can't do anything like that, it, it, it doesn't really matter. I'm not good at any of it. So if a player has transferable skills, great capacity and willingness to learn, you can teach them different systems and styles. If their production is based only on their system, and they do not have the transferable skills, that's where you're going to get in trouble. That's where a quarterback is likely going to fail. And then if you do a bad job of teaching and developing them, 
It's going to be another issue. Chris Landry brings you Landry football every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and, of course, RadioInfluence.com.